just want to ask you one question. What do you want to be remembered for? What a week one that went down. The Colts found a way to, to give Phillip Rivers the welcome he deserves and a big L when they really should have had that game locked up. The Bengals bangled. The Chargers looked terrible. It was just a fun week of football. The Washington football team, 1-0. Eagles completely blew it. Just as always, week one never disappoints. The highs and the lows are in full effect and the full tilting is definitely going down heading into week two. We are going to help walk you through how to not go full tilt. This is the Full Tilt Fantasy Podcast. I'm the host with the most FFIMBQ. Joined with me today is Big Billy FF and FF underscore run the damn ball. That's Tom, Billy, Jacob. Boys, how are you this morning? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm still riding that high from Naeem Hines showing up in week one. Naeem Hines season is alive and well. Um, yeah, our guy, Billy, um, very, very happy to see Naeem Hines rocking out. I'm doing well. Um, ready to uh, take down a title this weekend with Tom here in, uh, in some slow pitch um, up here in Winnipeg, Manitoba. So very excited, very ready to rock and uh, excited for a great show. How are you feeling uh, now with a little bit of time to digest the Philip Rivers experience in Indianapolis? Uh, it's going to be a one-year experience in Indianapolis. <laughs> You're already- he's, he's horrible. <laughs> um, I like, look, I've been through a journey with Philip Rivers. Um, I've spent my entire life as a football fan hating Philip Rivers. Um, a, because he's beat us in the playoffs like in absolutely soul-crushing fashion at least twice. Um, but also because he's like the whiniest, um, little like white boy quarterback that's ever existed. And I just absolutely loathe him. But then we signed him and I was like, okay, I guess this is life now. And I hated it. But then I talked myself into it. I remember texting Tom the day that he signed and I was like, I don't like this, but I know I'm going to talk myself into this in like a week. And I really, really did. And then I watched like one quarter and I was like, nope. (laughs) <laughs> nope, I'm done. You went in on <laughs> Philip Rivers as the Colts. You're 11 and 5. We're taking the division. And uh, it doesn't look so great uh, after the, the full tilt was in full effect uh, for you in quarter one. Luckily, you guys have uh, a couple race horses in the backfield. Uh, My fear is that he's just good enough to prevent us from drafting a suitable replacement in the top 10. That's my biggest oh, fear right you're now. You're not getting Fields, Lance, or Lawrence. You are finishing 15. That is your ceiling and your floor. You're taking the fourth, the fourth best quarterback in this draft unless somebody pulls a uh, insert bad quarterback drafted ahead. Josh Rosen. Someone pulls a Josh Rosen. You might luck out and get someone at 15, but you're absolutely correct. 
going to get really like sad. So I don't want that. With week one, we had no preseason. We had nothing to gauge this off of. We just had speculation and old film. I myself watched every snap from every game more than once because quarantine was a nightmare. And I had some ideas of what was going to happen in week one, like most of us have. And as most of us experienced, some of that went the complete wrong way. But there were very surprising and enjoyable pieces to week one. And that's what I want to get to first. The biggest surprise for me this week was David Montgomery. David Montgomery um, had a groin injury. No one knew if he was really going to play in week one. There was all the speculation, Ryan Null, all that all that fun stuff, who was going to get the touches, Tariq Cohen. I saw some crazy Tariq Cohen trades once uh, the, the, the injury to Montgomery popped up. I myself uh, tilt panicked and made a trade or two for some suspect running backs. But lo and behold, David Montgomery played and I actually played him in multiple lineups that I had him and he looked good a lot of his criticism was that he looked slow he couldn't you know make his read to the hole his hands were suspect I thought before that game got out of hand with um, Detroit he looked he looked really good like he had burst he had a couple catches they were designing plays for him Nagy actually looked like a competent offensive football coach I was very surprised with Montgomery, and I'm very surprised that I picked him up in the leagues that I did because, to me, when I'm watching him move, he looks like a very, very respectable uh, high-end RB2 right now. So that's a big surprise for me. Billy, what was something that really stood out to you in Week 1 that, that had you really uh, thinking about it all week? Uh, well, we already talked about my guy, but um, definitely Naeem Hines. I was very impressed, one, with the, the workload before Mac even left the game. And now we're talking about a situation where he's not just the RB2, but it could very well be an RB1-2 or 1A-1B situation where, you know, we have Rivers dumping off eight passes a game to Hines. I, he... He very well could, we could have two RB2s the rest of the way sitting in this backfield if we're so lucky. I don't know if that's still true with how good Chubbs, Chubb and Hunt looked on looked on Thursday night. But um, yeah, that, that RB2 uh, tier is definitely filling up. We'll have to see who sticks around. Billy, you're completely, completely wrong. Uh, not about Hines. He will be an RB2 the rest of the way. But unless you mean the overall RB2, your Taylor take is ridiculously cold. <laughs> there is there is 0% chance, 0.00000% chance that Taylor will not finish this season as a top 10 running back. I, I, I'll take a bet on that. <laughs> How much? I, I would I, bet, like, literally everything I own. That if he well, stays healthy for the rest of the year, he will be a top 10 running back. I, I was going, like, uh, I don't need to <laughs> fork over the cash on this bet. I don't know. We'll, we'll come up with something. I'll, I'll bet you Allen Robinson. This is what I'm going to bet you. Oh you have God. to trade me Allen Robinson in a reasonable <laughs> deal. In a reasonable deal. That if Jonathan Taylor finishes as a top 10 running back, you have to trade me Allen Robinson for a reasonable price in any of the leagues that we're in together. You even get to pick the league. 
Oh. <laughs> oh boy, I like it. I Tom, like it. T- I will. We will allow Tom to assess fair value in return oh, for okay. Allen Robinson. Let's go. Okay. Well, oh, what, hey. what, what's my what's what comes back? Oh yeah, if he's um, right. What do you want, Billy? I I named my price. What do you want? Oh, name AJ Brown. I uh, in Friday Night Lights. I have Allen Robinson and AJ Brown. Oh, fair enough. Oh, I, I, have, AJ, to... I have AJ Brown in more than enough leagues that, that you would be able to yeah. um, to Allen get Robinson. him if you so wish. Allen Robinson, AJ Brown. I think I, that... I have him in at least two leagues that you're in with me. So, all right, I'll 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 do that. I'll do that. Oh, baby. So. Just to clarify, big, big bet just went down on the full tilt. The bet is on Billy's side that Taylor will not finish as an RB1 the rest of the way. Top 10. Top 10. Give me those extra two slots. (laughs) That's fine. That's fine. Honestly, he'll probably be top one. So I'm okay with top 10 if you want to add the zero. Jacob is going all in. He says he's going to be in top 10 the rest of the way. Finish the year in that top 10. The deal is... If um, Jacob wins, he will get Allen Robinson from the biggest Allen Robinson fan uh, on this planet. And if Billy wins and Taylor blows it, um, A.J. Brown, who Jacob is madly in love with, is going to go the other way. Big, big deal here. We'll assess reasonable deals. Absolutely. And I get to to pick and prod and, and make the final call. Oh, this is just... So good. Jacob, what surprised you the most this week that had you thinking about it all week? Well, um, if you were to tell me that um, only two running backs in the NFL this week would get 100% of the running back carries in their backfield, and you told me that one of those names was Derrick Henry, I'd say, yep, that sounds about right. And if you told me that the other running back was my favorite product from Illinois State, (laughs) James Robinson, um my pants would just like have immediately melted from my legs. And that's what happened. Um, look, it was a difficult game to watch because the Colts just like made my skin crawl for four quarters. Um, however, it was really fun watching my guys, Visca and James Robinson ball out. Um, I can't possibly quantify to you how little I care about Divina Zigbo and Rykel Armstead. Um, I felt strongly um, throughout the offseason that if Fournette was to be traded, caught that James Robinson was the player to own. Um, I've had him on a couple of benches since literally June, and I'm so excited um, for James Robinson's season. He looked legitimately good against the Colts defense um, that I think will be decent against the run this year with DeForest Buckner. And there was the one screen pass that he took when he hurtled over the dude where I would just, I, I was just so ready. Like, I don't think he's like anything absolutely incredible, but he he looks pretty solid for an undrafted rookie in his first game, and he certainly didn't do anything that would show that that that, that Ozigbo or Armstead should come in and immediately take over that job. So I'm I feel very comfortable firing Robinson up as a flex play um, this week and going forward. And I think in in dynasty, if if he's like your RB four on a wide receiver heavy team, um, I think that's a perfect place to to be. You know what? He he looks like one of those running backs that just sticks around the league for eight years. Like he doesn't look yeah. like that gets like a starting job his whole career. He looks like one of those guys that sticks around, kind of like a Latavius Murray, 
where he kind of job a little bit. Yeah, but no, 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 no. Raheem Mostert is in in unbelievable talent, but I think a guy like Murray, who like accidentally kind of walked into a starting job for a year, has been a backup, but seems to keep getting contracts. I think that's what James Robinson reminds me of. He can kind of do everything, but nothing great. So I'm I'm very excited to see uh, how he progresses throughout the year. Uh, the other thing that I was looking at while I'm watching the games, obviously I watched the Ravens game. I've probably watched it two times already this week. And the one thing, one thing that sticks out to me that I was very surprised by was the usage of their backfield. Gus Edwards barely saw the field, uh, thankfully. Uh, Mark Ingram did not look anything special. Like last year, uh, when obviously it was Miami in the first week, but he looked like a different kind of running back. He looked fast. He looked elusive. He had some power, some breakaway. Uh, he, Mark Ingram, I almost couldn't tell him apart from Jordan Howard this week, and that was concerning. He doesn't look as explosive, and maybe it's the no preseason, got to get into a rhythm, some, some running backs. But last year, he was so valuable to them because he didn't need 20 carries, 15 carries to get into a rhythm. You can give him 10, 12, and he still could probably walk away with a 100-yard game. It didn't look to be the case. And then J.K. Dobbins comes in, and his runs weren't anything spectacular. He didn't do anything special, but he looked like the better running back. They had him in there for some pass protection, and they gave him the goal line carries. And he was successful on them. Now, moving forward, like I don't know if that was just because they had the, the game in the bag with Cleveland, and they weren't really worried about it, so they rest him. But to give a rookie... Uh, granted, a very good rookie with a very good college pedigree and athletic profile, goal line carries in an offense that is difficult to just come in and run with because there's so many RPOs, you're you're pulling the ball, there's lots of opportunities for fumbles, as we've seen the last couple of years with Lamar and those exchanges, even with someone like Mark Ingram, who's been in the league forever, just Dobbins just fits the system so perfect, and they still gave him the the high leverage carries so i was very surprised at how they rotated their running backs and it's been very confusing all week figuring out fantasy value this stuck out to me uh jacob what was the second thing that you had noticed uh this week that you just seems to be stuck in your mind um to me it was the early down pass rates um of green bay and seattle um so Ben Baldwin, if you're not following him on Twitter, uh, it's Computer Cowboy right now, but his name on Twitter changes like every week based on what some um, talk radio host makes fun of him with. Um, and he, he always does a, uh, a chart every week on a whole bunch of things, but he charts people's early down pass rates, early down rush rates, et cetera. And it's really, really great. If you're into fantasy football, he's a must follow. Um, and so with... With this week, actually, Seattle, Seattle Seahawks, the Pete Carroll Seattle Seahawks were second in the entire league in early down pass rate when win expectancy was between 20 and 80 percent. And the Green Bay Packers were third. Um, so Matt LaFleur um, um, came out after a year where he was really, really run heavy and really put the shackles on Aaron Rodgers in a lot of circumstances. He was whipping the ball all over the yard. They were letting Russ cook. 
And I think this is going to be really interesting for fantasy football. Um, and it's really only a positive if you have, I think, anyone on those two teams, except for maybe like A.J. Dillon or Carlos Hyde. Because obviously it's going to be a huge boost for Rodgers and Wilson. Um, but then not only that, but looking at the running backs, I don't think it's a bad thing at all for the running backs. There were 10 targets that went to Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones in Green Bay. Um, and then six targets to Chris Carson which he caught all six of for two touchdowns. If you're getting six, seven targets every week for Chris Carson and Aaron Jones, that more than makes up the gap between, you know, a few of the carries that they might end up not seeing because they go more pass heavy. Um, there's been work done that shows that in PPR leagues, a target is worth between two and three times as much as a carry. And so my recommendation would be, especially with Aaron Jones, if anyone is a little bit worried about how pass heavy Green Bay came out, I would be buying Aaron Jones pretty aggressively because he's an excellent passing game running back. Um, and if they're using him in the pass game for six, seven targets a game, because they really don't have that reliable of a second pass game option, I'd be buying him. And of course, I think I'm, I'm pretty open to buying Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Lockett, Metcalf, if this trend is here to stay. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that when I was watching the games at all. It, it honestly blew me away. Everyone looked good uh, for weapons. Even old man Olsen, Really looked like he was going to fit in that offense this year. I'm looking forward to watching more games in Seattle for the first time in my life. Billy, what stood out to you is this, the second thing that stood out to you this week that just has been racking on your brain. Uh, the second thing that stood out to me, and I think it's something that's going to set some precedent moving forward, is the sheer workload that went towards DeAndre Hopkins in his first game with yeah. the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah. I think going into this offseason, and I was guilty of this too, there were a lot of people fading DeAndre Hopkins saying he doesn't have a chance, he hasn't had a chance to learn this offense, he hasn't played a game in this scheme yet, and all these other pieces. And he goes out there and he catches 14 balls for 151 yards. It's absolutely crazy to think, you know, two, three weeks ago, we were worried about DeAndre Hopkins being able to adjust on the fly with no offseason in this team. I think it's absolutely baffling. I really wish I drafted more DeAndre Hopkins now. And at this point, if you got DeAndre Hopkins as the wide receiver, eight, nine off your board, congratulations. You're, you're very fortunate. And especially the fact that he did it against a Super Bowl contending defense last year. Like, it it is insane to see what they put up. They absolutely fed him, and it was definitely not something that I was expecting at all. And I'm happy that I was getting it him <laughs> like 2.8, 3.1 in startups. I got him and uh, Devontae Adams at 2.9 and like 3.2, if I'm not mistaken, or something. Three No, it was like 304 and 2.9. I got Devontae Adams and DeAndre Hopkins, and I uh, roasted that league uh, in week one, obviously. Yeah, congrats uh, on your week one win. Yeah, I, I took a big victory lap for that because I was actually laughed at for not taking, like, Todd Gurley and Lev Bell. Is oh, un- yeah. Like, unbelievable people just laughing. Uh, Jacob, you have that experience where you yeah. just have a team of all wide receivers. Yeah, I have a team. I call I, I my name for the team is Five Verts because I think it would be the f- most fun team of all time to have a, on Madden. But like, <laughs> yeah, in a startup, like it just uh, it was just absolutely 
wild how fast running backs were going. So I ended up with a team that has um, Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, Tyreek Hill, Odell Beckham, and A.J. Brown on it. Um, and, of course, rip A.J. Brown's knee. But um, it was aggressively fun watching Adams and Hopkins, and I'm sure there will be brighter days ahead for Tyreek Hill. Just maul people at the wide receiver position um, while everyone was, was struggling around with their, with their high-priced running backs. So, um, look, stay water, as the, as, you know, the fantasy footballers would say. And, but it's, it's actually it's really important advice in the draft, right? If the draft set dictates running backs heavy, go running backs heavy. If the draft dictates the wide receiver value falling, take the wide receiver value. And that's why you make trades because don't force the positions just because you feel like you need it. You know, I, I, yeah. I force myself to just be value conscious in that draft and it really paid off because now I'm in a situation where I have five of my top 12 dynasty receivers. I still have Aaron Jones, David Johnson, David Montgomery. And look, I had James Robinson in that startup draft. And now all of a sudden, you know, our depth running back problem is solved. So just stay focused on value. Yeah, that's a very important lesson. I, I honestly, I already am preparing for draft season next year. I've got so much planned that I just, I honestly can't wait for draft season. With the ups comes the downs, though, however, gentlemen. And I want to get into some things that I was really disappointed in and, and that we were all disappointed in. So I'm going to go with Baker Mayfield in week one. Now, the Week 2 game has happened. We are doing this a little bit later than we'd like to, but time dictated, so this is what we're doing. But Baker Mayfield in Week 1 was absolutely abysmal. And it wasn't just the Ravens. Well, he played the Ravens. Right, but the Ravens didn't touch him uh, the entire... Like, there are periods of time where he had clean pockets. He steps up and he airmails all of his receivers. He's throwing behind on... You know, third down to OBJ, which, yeah, he dropped it, but it was way behind him. He just looks scared. He looks lost. He looks gun-shy. He just, I don't know, he's so disappointing to watch play football from his rookie year. And little preview from Thursday, it didn't really get any better, aside from maybe two or three throws. So I'm overall very disappointed in Baker Mayfield, and I'm... Definitely interested to see his career arc moving forward. Billy, what were, what disappointed you first glance week one? Uh, well, this one hurts a lot for me personally, because as we've just discussed, I have this guy everywhere. Uh, Alan Robinson. I really thought coming out, Jeff Akuda was coming off the bench. I really thought Alan Robinson was going to absolutely blow up week one against the Lions. And granted, gr- granted, five catches for 74 yards in fantasy, that's not the worst thing ever. But I, it, the fact that Mitchell Trubisky threw three touchdowns and none of them went to Allen Robinson is just the slightest bit disconcerting for me, especially as someone who has Allen Robinson everywhere. Uh, Jimmy Graham was disappointing. He had one touchdown. He almost had two. Uh, Anthony Miller had that gorgeous catch at the end. It just felt like garbage time, and Allen Robinson was not the one getting fed the ball. Granted, he looked absolutely amazing in that game. That one catch he had was spectacular. Right, so it's a matter of not necessarily being disappointed in, in the the stats, just disappointed in his usage, which I yes. com- I completely understand, especially as from a guy 
coming from a guy who has an outrageous uh, share of Allen Robinson. Uh, Jacob, what what broke your heart this week? First glance. The uh, the Miami backfield. Um, you know, all summer we were like, Breda or Howard, Breda or Howard, Breda or Howard, Miles Gaskin. Um, like Brian Flores obviously spent some time with Bill Belichick, and for whatever reason, um, his disciples that go on to other places don't necessarily have any sort of discernible success, um, but they're really, really committed to doing the ridiculous um, running back usage that Bill Belichick does. And so um, what we're looking at there, I mean, Miles Gaskin led with over 60% of the snaps in that game. That's absolutely shocking to me. Um, Matt Breida was down at 22%, and then Jordan Howard at 15% of snaps. He actually only got nine snaps in the entire game and somehow turned that into eight carries, which he somehow turned into seven yards. Um, so the whole nine, eight, seven situation. Look, I don't know what to make of that backfield. Do I, would I rush out to spend significant fab on Miles Gaskin expecting it to be totally his job? Um, no, <laughs> I, I wouldn't. Um, I think this is probably something more likely that goes week to week, sort of with a hot hand. But Gaskin looked fine. I mean, not incredible, but he looked fine. Breida was also efficient because if Matt Breida is not over-efficient and underused, then he's nothing at all. Right. Um, and Jordan Howard was just not able to get absolutely anything going. I don't even know if it's his fault, but I think it's a situation where if you are playing Jordan Howard in a situation where he gets nine snaps and eight carries – it's just way too easy for the defense to key on him, right? Essentially, you're saying that every time Jordan Howard comes into the game, it's an inside run. And so you just, you're doing the defense's work for you. And Jordan Howard is a good running back, but there is no running back in the NFL other than apparently Adrian Peterson, where you can just use that high of a utilization rate and essentially declare to the defense that every time he comes in, you're just running it in the A-gap and expect to have success. So... You know, I think Jordan Howard brings a lot of that on himself because he's been so unreliable in the past game. But if that's how he's going to be utilized, he might just be dust in fantasy. Um, Brita getting five carries was not that much of a concern to me, but he wasn't utilized nearly uh, in the past game like I expected him to be or even like reports said he would be out of camp. So I'm very worried about him. I wouldn't drop any of these guys. If you can get like anything for Jordan Howard after that touchdown, um, I would be selling. Um, for sure. Rita, I just think is a good player. Um, I'm, I don't know. Maybe I'm just always way too high on Brita, but he looked fine in the game. I think he might get more pass game work. And I just, I don't know. It was just a very tilting experience, right? Like Miami had Gaskin on the roster. They then signed Howard for $10 million and then traded a draft pick for Brita. If you were just going to use Gaskin as your starter the whole time, why? <laughs> so I don't think Gaskin is, is necessarily an of the starter. I think it's a gross three-way committee, but you can't trust anyone in this backfield right now, and that's unfortunate. Yeah, I granted, like, it was New England, so it's not like they had a cakewalk of a game, but, I mean, yeah, that's it, it was really hard to watch because I made a couple of trades for Brita uh, leading up to week one, really expecting a high uh, target share and just did not happen. The other thing that really let me down was Dalvin Cook for me. I understand that he scored the touchdowns, which which really saved his day. But Madison, in in a lot of his snaps, actually looked like the better running back, which 
I don't know if this was, again, it's a preseason thing, and they were down uh, early in that game, and Dalvin Cook was not targeted like the, I thought he would be. It just was a really – it didn't look like the same kind of game plan out of Minnesota for Dalvin Cook that they had last year, which is obviously what everyone was buying. Yes, he signed the contract, so everyone went way up on Dalvin Cook, myself included, went and got him. And just watching it, it didn't look like they were scripting the game for him the same way they did last year, which is a little disappointing. And it's not saying that I'm bailing or I'm not happy that he he scored me multiple touchdowns, but I'm hoping that the receptions come because that was very disappointing to me to see how that game ended up being scripted. Billy, what was the other thing to you that was a little bit disappointing? Uh, he's, he's your favorite tight end sleeper and mine. I'm talking about Hayden Hurst, uh, going out there first game with the Falcons granted first game with the Falcons, 9% target share, Matt, Matt Ryan throws for 450 yards and 38 of them go to Hayden Hurst. Uh, it's a little bit worrisome. Uh, Russell Gage, I think had his best game of his career including every game that's going to come after this. So I I think it's there's not a whole lot you can take from it. I also think Jamal Adams being everywhere in that game definitely didn't help Hayden Hurst's uh, his prospects. So I think that hurt a lot more than just Hayden Hurst not playing. But he did run the most routes of any tight end week one. So I, I I'm not selling Hayden Hurst. But if he goes out and does something similar week two, I'm going to be a little bit concerned. Yeah, that's fair. I think that that game and it actually what I said, we discussed it previously. I didn't think Hayden Hurst was going to have a big blow up game because I think that whole division got better against the tight end after how laughably bad it was uh, with the Cardinals getting Simmons, the Seahawks getting Adams, San Francisco getting their linebackers back. I think that it, it's going to change how the tight end landscape is in that division. But obviously the lack of targets to, to Hurst was very, very disappointing. Jacob, what was the second thing that you found disappointing from week one? Yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a pretty rare thing, which is I'm going to advocate for a sell low on this occasion. I think um, there are times in fantasy football where actually selling low is acceptable. And I would posit that you should be selling low on Austin Eckler. Um, I was deeply concerned with his usage and with Anthony Lynn's comments after the game in week one. Um, first of all, if you watch the Thursday night game and how easily the Browns just obliterated Cincinnati, um, especially on the ground, but even through the air uh, when Baker wasn't just throwing mind-melting picks, um, it would be very concerning that the Chargers scored 16 points on that defense. Um, they made Cincinnati's defense actually look rather competent. And even more concerning is that Austin Eckler, he was fine on his carries. He had 19 carries for 85 yards. But I don't think Austin Eckler has ever been a player that you are putting into your fantasy lineups because of his 19 carries. Um, you know, he had one target in this game, one, and that's a concern. I think it's easy for some people to look at this and spin it as a positive saying, hey, Austin Eckler, 19 carries, that's awesome. He's going to be the primary rusher. 
Um, I wouldn't be so sure about that. They went into this game with Justin Jackson as the backup, not Josh Kelly. Justin Jackson exited right away with a quad injury. So it's quite possible that that's one of the things that contributed to Eckler carrying the ball more. Then Josh Kelly started getting run in the second half. And holy crap, did he look like a much more explosive and better runner, pure runner, not running back, but a better runner than Austin Eckler in that game. And he got the majority of the goal line work in that game. So I think that there is a dangerous path for Austin Eckler to become primarily an in-between-the-20s runner without the target volume we're used to seeing. Anthony Lynn came out after the game and said, Tyrod Taylor is a mobile quarterback, and so the way that the offense is going to work isn't going to funnel targets to the running back position. That's a concern. It wasn't a, it was an aberration. It was a game plan. We'll get Austin Eckler more work in the pass game. He basically said, this is how it's going to be. So should we expect more than one target? Of course. But I think if you can talk a league mate into being excited about the 19 carries, um, you should take that opportunity to do so because I think Eckler is not going to be scoring anywhere close to the touchdown level um, that he got last year. And if he's not hitting that target level, I'm concerned. And I wouldn't be surprised if 19 carries is the most carries he has all year with how great Josh Kelly looks. And if Justin Jackson ends up coming back healthy and he cuts into that pie as well. Yeah. I'm a big, big, big Josh Kelly guy. I, I went and got him in as many leagues as I could physically get him in, but other people are holding, uh, holding him pretty friggin' tight, understandably. So, so I definitely agree. Eckler was a huge bust. So we are going to keep it moving along. I want to break down. Uh, we're going to do one game. Pick one game, boys, that we are going to break down. Uh, Jacob, I'm going to send it to you. What game are you most looking forward to watching? And who in that game are you looking forward to most watching? Yeah, so for me, I'm looking at the Carolina-Tampa Bay game. Um, you know, these were two teams with a whole lot of changes. Um, going into the first week, and it's going to be really exciting to see sort of how that comes about in week two. Carolina, uh, I thought, looked pretty pretty good in week one on offense. Their defense looked about as bad as we expected it to look, but I wasn't extraordinarily impressed. I think the Raiders' defense is pretty bad, and a lot of the yardage for Teddy Bridgewater in that game came on the one really big play to Robbie Anderson. I want to see them take more aggressive downfield shots, I want to see DJ Moore get more involved. And so DJ Moore is a player I'm going to be looking at the most. He did lead the team in targets week one, but it wasn't the same sort of target dominance that we saw last season, where it was him clearly on one pedestal and then everybody else. Um, it really was sort of a receiver by committee. He had nine targets. Anderson had eight. Samuel had eight. So I want to see if DJ Moore can assert himself more as the focal point of that offense. And I also felt he was getting a lot of looks in the underneath and intermediate area which makes sense. Uh, and that's where he got a lot of looks last year, but I want to see if they can push the ball deep more. And I want to see how much DJ Moore is involved with that vis-a-vis um, Robbie Anderson. Um, so that's what I'm looking at the most, but on the other side in Tampa Bay, they look bad guys in week one. Um, the Saints defense is a defense. I do have a lot of respect for, so I don't think it's total panic button yet, but Brady did not look good. Um, if he is not a quarterback upgrade, in terms of fantasy production, or frankly, just real life um, than Jameis Winston, then that could spell a little bit of trouble for Evans and Godwin. Um, I don't think there's any reason to panic just yet because Evans was playing hurt, um, and you had Brady going up against the Saints defense in his first game in the Arian system. But we just saw the Raiders hang 34 points on the Carolina Panthers. If Tampa can't come out and do a similar thing, 
then we might need to reevaluate whether or not we consider them as one of the top five to ten scoring offenses in the league early in the season because they won't get a better matchup than they're getting this week. I'm getting a really bad feeling in Tampa Bay. A, like I'm getting a bad feeling in the sense that they they kind of did the same thing the Eagles did many years ago where they, they mm-hmm. signed Dream Team and it got that kind of buzz and it's starting to kind of go that way already. Some of the throws that Brady missed, if Winston threw those, they would be memes. The commentary, I think, I hope to God that it was uh, Troy Aikman because I hate that guy. Uh, if if I remember correctly, that's who called the game. But they they said that uh, on the Mike Evans interception, they blamed it on Evans not running his route, not the fact that Brady overthrew him by ten yards. Like it looked painful to watch. And just a side note, I love the immediate jump to the five foot ten white guy as Brady's like prototypical slot wide receiver. Like not the six foot two giant in Godwin, but they're like, no, he's gonna target the five foot ten white right. guy because that's what he does. I just I found that to be very, very comical. Can uh, we just say quick? Yep. Scotty Miller doesn't play the slot. I know he's five ten. I know he's white. He plays almost all of his snaps outside. Playing the slot this week will be Justin Watson. So I know Scotty Miller's name is Scotty, which is kind of goofy. He's not a slot wide receiver. But anyway, that's been a pet peeve. Just the the last thing is, I they remind me of another Bruce Arians team. I like the Eagles call because it was similar to that. They remind me of the 2016 Cardinals when they had gone to the NFC Championship game the year before. And then they went out and they drafted Kim Diche and they brought in someone else that was quite big. I can't remember. Um, but there was so much hype. They were like clearly everyone's Super Bowl pick and they just sputtered. And I'm getting I'm just getting bad vibes. If I'm not mistaken, that was the year they signed Chandler Jones. Yes. Yes. That was the other guy. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. And I, everyone knows that the first year in Arian's system is rough for every quarterback in history. I don't think Brady, who is also fighting father time, was going to fight. Arian system and let's be honest Arians isn't letting Brady even though it's Brady come in and change what he wants to do also I'm getting I know we're really talking about the Tampa Bay game here but I'm really concerned about Leftwich as an offensive coordinator uh his so in college they have the pass game coordinator and the run game coordinator I think that's what Tampa Bay needs because watching Byron Leftwich's run game and his play design is something out of, I don't know, a Caldwell-style rushing offense. It's not great to watch. It doesn't suit their skill sets. And I think that's going to be a problem all year. Uh, without hitting that nail on the head anymore, Billy, what's the game that you're most looking forward to watching this week? And who are you looking to watch the most in that game? Uh, for me, it's going to be the Falcons and Cowboys. I think it's the easiest fantasy game to say this week. Um, I would start just about every fantasy relevant player in this game, barring the tight end for the Cowboys. I think just about everyone in this game has the potential to absolutely dominate. Um, I'm very interested to see just how bad the defense for the Falcons. Well, we got a good sense of how bad the Falcons defense is just how bad the Cowboys defense is. I felt like the Cowboys kind of went all in this year. They let a lot of defensive players go to kind of make space open for some of their higher end contracts. See Amari Cooper, see Byron Jones getting shipped off to Miami. 
So I think it's going to be very interesting to see how this game looks without probably their best defensive player in Leighton Vanderesh. I love me a player who can take over an entire defensive field on his own. This feels like they're everywhere. Jamal Adams, Leighton Vanderesh are two very good players at that. Um, but without that, I'm going to be very interested to see who's catching those receptions over the center of the field. This might be, I know we said maybe Hayden Hurst's worst game of the year was week one. This might be his best if he goes out there and is just getting peppered with balls across the center of the field. Uh, start both quarterbacks. They're both going to be great. Start all of the wide receivers in this game. Julio, Ridley, Gage, Lamb, all of them can be started, I think. Um, yeah, I think this is a pretty easy game to look at and say if you have a player you want a piece of the piece of the points going on in this game. Yeah, man, that was actually in the DFS show that game was highlighted, which you can now go and check out on Spotify. We uh, we definitely went and talked about that game at great length, and we uh, Jacob and I both have an excessive amount of all of the players you just listed in our DFS lineups, cash, and tournament games this week. Uh, the game that I wanted to talk about this week, and I know it's biased, but it's Ravens-Texans. Uh, last year, they won 41-7, Ravens over the Texans, and it was it was knockout punches early. And the Texans, in my opinion, got worse. I think there's less standing in their way, and the Ravens loaded up even more. C- um, Calais Campbell made such a difference against Cleveland, dropping into coverage. This man is a giant, and he dropped back into coverage and threw him off. I think that if there is a team that's prepared for a rushing quarterback— It'll be the Ravens, so I think that will kind of hurt Watson's floor. I don't think that the Ravens are concerned about Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, and Randall Cobb, or Kiki Kuti, or either of their average-at-best tight ends. I think that they're just going to let them try to run the ball with David Johnson and just take away everything else that Watson wants to do. So I'm not looking forward to playing anyone on the Texans this week, but I'm interested in watching, obviously, J.K. Dobbins. I want to see what they do with Dobbins. Do they give him the rock in the first quarter? Do they focus on him in the third quarter? When they put Gus Edwards out, is it just telling everyone that Lamar Jackson's keeping it? Because that's kind of been how it's been for a while with Gus Edwards. It's Every time Edwards is in, not only is it a run, but it is a QB keeper to play side. And I want to know if that changes because it really sucks watching those plays get cut short. The other thing I'm looking forward to, the big one, is Hollywood Brown. For once, he actually looked like a – well, not I, I won't say for once because in the playoff game against Tennessee, when they opened up the playbook, he was going downfield. He was catching medium routes. He looked like an actual wide receiver one. Big story was that he put on weight. He was uh, learning from his cousin, uh, Antonio Brown. So – is Hollywood Brown a true wide receiver one for his team now is what I'm looking forward to. He had really he had a really good game coming back to the ball. His routes look crisp, his hands look good. Obviously the deep ball is always going to be there, so I want to see if he can beat a very poor Houston secondary. I'm looking forward to this game. I'm taking the way over on the points. Um I'm playing the Lamar Jackson. I have one league where I'm playing JK Dobbins. Just, you know, maybe scores again. This is what I'm hoping, but I'm looking forward to this game. I think it's going to be really fast and really, really, really 
fun, just a really fun game to watch, especially as a Ravens fan. Uh, those are the games we're going to talk about this week. Uh, you can hit us up all on, on Twitter, as I mentioned earlier in the show. We'll go over it again later. Let us know what you think and, and what you're really looking forward to. After a week of football, there are people that lose their minds. They go full tilt. Uh, for example, there was a trade made in a league that some of us are in where somebody paid to have someone take Baker Mayfield off the roster. The trade was <laughs> For Baker and two seconds, like the tilt was real. He regretted it immediately after. But that is the the tilt experience that we are here to hopefully help you avoid. Um, Jacob, what are some targets? Uh, you can give me one target that you are targeting this week uh, for players that might be tilting. For sure. So, um, you know, we're recording this now after the Thursday night game. So. Uh, I sent out a tweet on Thursday night that said the buy low window for Nick Chubb is officially closed. Um, and it probably is officially closed unless there's people that would rather focus on the fact that Kareem Hunt got two touchdowns than the fact that Nick Chubb looked like a grown ass man getting two touchdowns of his own. Um, but I think that the, the buy low window on Joe Mixon um, remains very, very open after Thursday night. Um, because Gio Bernard in the two-minute drill was uh, heavily utilized. Um, you know, I put out a tweet yesterday. I said that uh, Joe Mixon is the Joe Biden of RB1s um, because he's very good, not very great um, in terms of what you want out of your RB1. But, you know, if you weren't the one that paid up to get that huge cost for Joe Mixon, um, there's people out there that are saying he now looks like a back-end RB2. You know, I think that's ridiculous. Um, you don't see Derrick Henry getting a whole ton of work in the two-minute offense. You still really want Derrick Henry on your team because he's an excellent pure rusher um, who's now getting a little bit of pass game work within the regular flow of the offense. Nick Chubb's not going to be out there in the two-minute drill. You still want Nick Chubb as a back-end RB1. He's going to be getting a lot of carries, and he's going to get some targets when he's on the field. Joe Mixon was utilized in the pass game. He might not have been utilized in the hurry-up offense, but he was fully utilized in the pass game. Um, he ended up getting four targets. He caught all four, and he got some more creative looks. They weren't all dump-offs. He had a really nice play on an angle route over the middle. Um, and he's been getting, um, you know, 20 carries per game, roughly, throughout the first two. He's still an excellent player. The Cincinnati offensive line is inexperienced. It's going to get better the more that they play together. This offense and this team is going to get better over time. He's locked in. Um, as a, into a really nice contract for four years. So you're buying in the long term. I think that there's every reason to assume this year Joe Mixon can give you low-end RB1, high-end RB2 value, but you just have to trust that after this year, Joe Bernard will not exist. Joe Mixon will. He's under contract for three more years. Joe Burrow, I mean, it's not been perfect, but he's shown some flashes of really good play in the first two weeks as a rookie. This is an ascending offense, and you want a running back locked in on a long-term contract on an ascending offense. So if you can get Joe Mixon um, for any form of discount and dynasty, absolutely you do that. Yeah, I think that's a smash play. Like, I, I'm a heavy Mixon owner, and even I caught myself today going, oh, do I just put him on the block? Watching the taste of that game out of my mouth, I was just, do I put him on the block or not? I'm definitely not going to because I came to my senses. Billy, what's one player you are looking to target uh, before this weekend slates. 
Uh, real quick, touching on the the mix and take before I throw in my guys. He didn't even look that bad when he had the ball. He was like breaking when he he had a couple of receptions in that game where he was breaking down the field. Like he just I this mix and hate is I I won't lie, it's worrisome, but I think he's going to be just fine. Uh, one guy who I'm targeting, but ahead of this week's slate, uh, my other guy is going to be after this week's slate is uh, Mike Evans. I think Mike Evans had a rough week one. It was saved with the touchdown. Um, especially with Godwin going down, I think Mike Evans is going to be at likely the lowest price he's going to be all season um, ahead of Sunday slate. I mean, they're playing what could very well be the softest defense in the league. Uh, we saw Nelson Aguilar just toast them last week. I, I think Mike Evans is obviously going to destroy in this game. And with no God, Godwin, I think his ceiling is astronomical. Yeah, man, I I definitely agree. I'm, I've am i been trying to get a Mike Evans uh, deal done in a couple of leagues, and, which is surprising to me because I, I had none of him. And um, it's not going as well as I thought it would. Apparently this whole Godwin injury news has re-spiked his, his value to people, so not going great for me. The player that I'm looking at going and getting is David Montgomery. Now, a lot of people were, might be saying, like, oh, but he, you know, that can't be a tilt. It can. He didn't do what a lot of people thought he would against an uh, average Lions team. He didn't get the targets, maybe, when they were down. He really didn't do much to help you win a fantasy league. This week, we're talking dynasty, though. And as I mentioned leading up to this, he looked great on most of his touches. He looked like the running back people were expecting week one last year. So I am going to go and pluck him now before he has a big game and people want to start holding on to him. The Bears are kind of a meme when it comes to their offense right now. And I think you can buy their players low. And I think that that's what you should be trying to do. Montgomery and dynasty as your your third running back on your roster, maybe even your second running back on your roster when injuries happen, is someone I'm completely okay with. I'm going to go after David Montgomery for sure. Jacob, what's the second player that you're targeting this week? Maybe because their value hasn't hit their max peak yet, or maybe someone's tilting on them. Yeah, this one, um, I don't know if this will be as easy to obtain. Um, but if you can somehow get DJ Moore at even like a 5% discount, do that. Um, you know, he got outperformed by Robbie Anderson in that game. Like I said before, he wasn't really dominating the targets in that offense. But, you know, they're going to be down a lot, or at very least a neutral game script. And even in a game, and they're going to be passing a lot. So even in a game right where we were kind of disappointed in his overall target volume, he still saw nine targets. And the nice trend for Carolina, if you're a DJ Moore owner or a Curtis Samuel or Robbie Anderson owner, is that they, at least in the first game, and against Oakland, you can pretty much exploit whatever matchup you feel like exploiting. So I consider your usage against Oakland to be pretty neutral in terms of what you want to run. A lot less targets to the running back and tight end position. Only two targets to Ian Thomas, four targets to Christian McCaffrey. So they're going to throw a lot. And at least from week one, which is the only sample we have of a Matt Rule NFL offense, they're going to throw a lot to the wide receivers. Those three wide receivers combined for 25 targets, those top three in week one. 
And I would expect more to continuously lead that group in targets, usually by a wider margin than he saw in week one. So the efficiency is going to come. DJ Moore last year was a very, very efficient wide receiver with one of the worst quarterbacks I've ever seen play a full season in the NFL. Teddy Bridgewater, while maybe not an outstanding quarterback, he's certainly an accurate quarterback, um, especially in the short and intermediate routes where DJ Moore does a lot of his work. So if you can buy him in dynasty at any form of discount where I think he is, you know, firmly a top 10 wide receiver, probably pushing in as close to a top five, five wide receiver in dynasty. Um, I think you should be at least firing out offers because it might not be a big discount, but any form of discount on DJ Moore is one you want to take advantage of because I think you're going to see a lot better weeks ahead. Funny that you mentioned that because there's a DJ Moore trade potentially going down while we are recording. Bill, who are you looking at as a pickup? All right. Uh, as a trade target or another uh, pickup? Who are you going after? Uh, what? One of the quiet ones, and I still think you're going to get this guy for cheaper come uh, come next week, is going to be Brandon Cooks. I think he's going to get absolutely destroyed against the Ravens this week. He's carrying another questionable tag. He's. I really think he's going to have two catches for like six yards this game. He's going to have two wide receiver screens, and he's going to do nothing with them. If come next week and their schedule starts kind of easing up and he doesn't do anything, I think the best thing you can do right now is send out a really crappy offer for Brandon Cooks to someone in your league who owns him. Watch him just eat dirt this week. Let that trade offer get declined and then send just the, the same exact offer Monday morning. And I guarantee you, you're going to be in a much better place. Because he is going to get absolutely dominated this week. That's an absolutely dirty strategy, and I love it. Like, that's the kind of trade where you're not only playing the for the fantasy player, but you're playing for the fantasy owner as well. And that is a good way to, to work it in. And I didn't think that there would be a possible way for someone to explain to me Brandon Cook's value getting even lower but that right there uh, definitely helped me turn that corner. So I'm going to, for myself, this is going to be a first for me. And I don't know if I'm ready to, to say it. I don't know if I need help. Jacob might need to come and do a wellness check on me. Uh, I'm going after Tyler Lockett right now. And oh, quite God. a as a player that I'm targeting because I don't, think his value is going to get any cheaper as the season goes on uh to put that into perspective i would not be trading tyler lockett as a wide receiver one value i'd be i'm looking to get him in a package deal mostly but if i can trade maybe one of my bigger named wide receivers that people are a little more into to someone who doesn't believe in lockett kind of like i used to um and pick something else up in the process. I think that that's the the make. I am looking to get Lockett. I think that if Seattle does continue to throw the ball, if Russell Wilson gets to cook, as all the cool kids are saying, if he goes if he goes full Walter White on the NFL this season, uh, I want a piece of that offense. And DK Metcalf in Dynasty, you're just not going to get. 
because, you know, people view him as the next Randy Moss right now, and I think Lockett's the guy. Um, so I'm targeting Tyler Lockett, and I'm ready. I'm ready for the criticism. I'm ready for the welcome to the team. I I woke up this morning feeling dangerous. So those are the guys that I'm targeting. And uh, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I might need a shower. I might need to scrub it off. But uh, there it is. So, guys, big tilt week this week. Have you guys each seen a trade that was so tilted that you both had to tilt your heads in disgust? Uh, Jacob, I know there was an Odell Beckham trade that you've been wanting to let out into the universe. So what what was that trade for you that sent you so off? Yeah, so first off, I just want to congratulate Billy for sending me an offer of a 22-4 for Brandon Cooks um, live on air. So thanks, William. He's, he's um, going to get the same one tomorrow. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so... Uh. You know, we play in a lot of leagues with a lot of people who play in a lot of leagues. And sometimes we forget just how tilted home leagues are. And I'm in a home redraft league. It's a league where last year I traded Chris Thompson for Saquon Barkley after Barkley got a high ankle sprain. So that's just like a way to to state sometimes what the caliber of play can be in home leagues. But so I picked up Naheem Hines off the waivers after week one. First of all, it was a very shallow league because I would never allow Naeem Hines to sit on waivers in a deep league because um, I had the number one waiver priority. And immediately I turned around and offered Naeem Hines and A.J. Green for Odell Beckham. And um, it went through, much to my shock. I sent that as an opening offer. And then not only did it go through, but I had multiple people in our league chat question if the trade should be vetoed. Because I so clearly got fleeced trading my 11th round pick and a waiver wire pickup for someone who went in the third round. Um, It was absolutely mesmerizing to me how short people's memories can be. And maybe Odell Beckham won't be, you know, a top 12 wide receiver this season. That's entirely possible. But the idea that you would draft someone or see someone get drafted in the third, fourth round in every draft and immediately be like, oh, man, they're so clearly worse than an 11th rounder in a waiver wire pickup is just absolutely bonkers to me. So you really, really have to just trust the process on this one. And if you are drafting out there next year and you're prone to tilting, consider before you draft each player the worst case scenario of their week one. And how it will make you feel. Because if it will make you feel as though you need to inject A.J. Green in a waiver wire pickup immediately into your lineups after week one, then you shouldn't draft that player in the first place. So try to avoid tilting. Also, literally, as I'm saying, as I just saw on Twitter, that Michael Pittman got dropped in a dynasty league. So that's a thing. We're, me and Tom are in a dynasty league where Denzel Mims just got dropped for Adam Humphreys. Yep. Ah! <laughs> yeah uh billy and i are going to waiver war right now uh not telling each other what we are bidding but i can only assume we are upbidding each other uh to the next level so as a luck. neutral third party if denzel mims is on your waiver wire and you're not spending 100 percent of your fab in a dynasty league on him 
you're doing it wrong. In fact, if you're not trading someone to get more fab, to be able to spend more than 100% of your original fab on Denzel Mims in a dynasty league, be better. I swear to God, if I see a trade, Billy, where you... Bobby Anderson, $50 fab. (laughs) I will fly to Texas and beat the living shit out of you. But let's keep it clean, all right? Let's not get dirty, as I'm currently trying to type out a trade to get more fab. Um, As am I. I didn't even think about that. Oh, man. Damn it. <laughs> Me neither. That was genius. You've got more picks than I do, too. It's fucking bullshit. Okay. Billy, what's a tilt trade that you saw this week that had you really, really scratching your head? So I, I have two quick ones. Uh, one I understand, and one is a couple roster drops in my homer league, which I think are hilarious. Um, so one, I, I did the same exact thing that I just described on the show. Uh, week one, I offered a 2021 third for Marlon Mack and, uh, got declined. He told me he was going to, uh, it was a one, one, a one B situation in Indianapolis. Marlon Mack goes down two minutes later. I offer a 2022 fourth, get him, sit him on my IR. Don't have to worry about Marlon Mack for a year. But hey, worst case scenario, I'm out of four. My favorite one of the year of the year so far is um in my Homer League. Kelton, I hope you never have to listen to this. Uh, Cortland Sutton was dropped for Anthony Miller. Then he subsequently uh, dropped Tyler Boyd for Darius Slayton, which is just the the Tyler Boyd for Darius Slayton one. I'm Almost like just I, I could rip my teeth and be like, all right, high upside. Cortland Sutton for Anthony Miller is absolutely absurd in every sense of the word. Unless Alan Robinson like eats dust or something, uh, God forbid, cross my heart, knock on wood. I would not touch Anthony Miller for Cortland Sutton in any sense of the word. It's absolutely absurd. And if the Bears didn't somehow lead a miraculous comeback, this guy wouldn't either. So, Kelton, I'm sorry if you ever somehow listen to this, but there you go. Yeah, I'm actually, <laughs> this is funny, I'm actually more on Slayton than Boyd. Uh, that, to me, is, I, I would trade Tyler Boyd, or I would trade, yeah, I would trade Tyler Boyd for Darius Slayton for... In a redraft? Oh. No. No, 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 no. Yeah, this is a redraft. Okay, you gotta let me know this. You gotta let me know this. <laughs> my brain only works on dynasty. It it does it doesn't handle redrafts and keepers very well. It's it's, it's purely focused on dynasty. Oh, can I make a point on Anthony Miller, by the way? And it actually I think transitions maybe pretty nicely, but to the next segment. But Anthony Miller right now is a guy that you need to sell to people who look at box scores. Um, he played forty six percent of the snaps in week one. That's that should be a really big red flag that even now in his third year, he's still only being used primarily in three wide receiver sets. He had scenarios where Daryl Mooney, Darnell Mooney, their fifth round pick, who you should be picking up, by the way, off waivers and dynasty, if you can find him, um, was playing ahead of him on, on certain two wide receiver sets. So if you can sell Anthony Miller high after a really nice box score, that would be a good opportunity to do so because you're not going to be looking at that as a sustainable box score on 46% of snaps. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I think the the Anthony Miller hype right now is is getting it's it's already working its way up to a, a very scary ladder for the people who are going all in for him. I saw a trade. Well, okay, I'll specify. I made a trade, made a trade this week that I couldn't believe uh, fell into my lap. Um, I got George Kittle for Tyler Higby and Darius Slayton this week, and I couldn't Ooh. be more ecstatic. Uh, I'm okay having Kittle sit on my bench. I'll go and pick up a waiver wire tight end in Dynasty. Um, I approached it in the sense that, you know, oh, he, this, this leg has been injured multiple times. It's probably going to stay around. You know, these injuries, they, they keep coming back and na 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 na. So I sent out the first offer, which was Higby a second and, um, oh boy, oh, I can't even remember. In, insert laughable receiver here. I think it was James Washington. And he countered to me with Kittle and Slayton. And I don't think I've hit the accept button fast enough. Uh, for Higby and Slayton for for Kittle, in my life, I I hit that button so damn fast, and I don't know if he I, he seemed like he immediately regretted it, and I don't blame him. Uh, guys, tilting is is harmful. It's harmful for your fantasy teams. It's harmful for your health. Um, especially when we're talking dynasty, relax a little. I know it's hard when you see a guy put up an absolute dud of a game or you see a guy get hurt again, but Frank Gore was hurt for the first couple of years of his career and now he's eternal. So injuries shouldn't completely scare you the player. Just really try to avoid the tilting. Um, as for the show, that's everything I have written down. So boys, if there's something else that you want to get into, please let everyone know. Billy? Uh, I'm out of, I'm out of stuff to talk about. I mean, be smart going into week two. Uh, there's probably going to be a couple trends that continue to follow in week two that may have seemed like outliers in week one. Still don't weight them a whole lot. I mean, fantasy football is a simulation. That's just the fact of the matter. There's randomness inside the system. And some of it's going to work itself out. Eventually, it's all going to work itself out. But right now, we're still very fresh. Philip Dorsett was a wide, a top five wide receiver in week one last year. So enjoy that. Exactly. It, it, it Football changes constantly, and you have to be prepared for that. Jacob, anything you want to add here? Tilting is a disease. The Full Tilt Dynasty podcast is your vaccine to that disease. What you need to do in the early weeks especially, you can't be a box score fantasy player. Box scores lie to you. Take the Thursday night game, okay? Odell Beckham had four for 74 and a touchdown in that game. The touchdown catch that he made, A, could have easily not been ruled as a touchdown, in which case you're looking at four for 73-0. Or he could have not caught it. It was a really quite a remarkable catch, in which case you're looking at three for 31-0. Or he could have not had his jersey grabbed on a slightly overthrown Baker Mayfield pass about a quarter later, and you're looking at a line of five for 125 and two. The difference between all of those lines shouldn't be massive, massive differences in how his value is perceived based on about three inches on each of those three instances. That's going to happen for so many players this week. Stick with the process. 
look at what snaps are playing, look at how many routes they're running, and don't let these little three-inch turns here or there completely change your, your perception of a player in a box score. I, I couldn't have said that any better myself. It's, it's very hard to stay calm when watching fantasy football. The thing that I'm going to leave everybody with is if you're like us and you play in multiple, multiple, multiple leagues, it is important to remember that there is a next week. There is going to be a next week. You're going to lose to players that you have on other rosters. You're, it's going to be tough mentally during those games. There's another week to play fantasy football. Okay, You don't have to face thing uh, you have in the one week. So stay calm, stay focused, and stay ready. Always remember this most important thing. Good night. There's a no, fight no. going on out there, gentlemen. Why don't you get in it? Clear eyes, full hearts. Get